Good morning. My name is Robert, and I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy House. I want to welcome you. I also want to welcome kids that are kindergarten through six-ish grade can go down to the Mercy House kids class. All right, we're in the book of Judges, so hopefully you've pulled out the Bibles from under your chairs or pulled it up on your phone. I'm going to have some of these scriptures up on the screen behind me, uh, but I think it'll be helpful to you to, to look along. Uh, this is another installment of the Judges cycle. Dun, dun, dun. This same cycle plays out 12 times. This is the book of Judges, where Israel disobeys. God disciplines them. They find themselves in distress. Out of the distress, they call for help, and God sends a deliverer. And that happens over and over and over again. And so as we go through the book of Judges, we just keep drilling deeper into those uh, different parts of the cycle. Last week, we saw that Israel was doing evil, and that the reason that that was evil is because they were doing this evil in, in the eyes of God. And we talked about how evil is rooted in the very person, the very character of who God is, and so they were rejecting the character of God and doing evil. They then were disciplined and found themselves hiding and hungry, and in that distressed state, they cried out for a deliverer, and God is in the process of sending their next deliverer, which is Gideon. Uh, the problem with Gideon is Gideon, he needs to get delivered before he's ready to be a deliverer. And so in this part of the story in Judges 6, we're getting to see uh, Gideon get delivered so that he can then turn and deliver Israel. And I think we'll understand our own distress and our own need for deliverance as we look deeper into Gideon's story. So, so far, God has come to Gideon and said, O mighty man of valor, to Gideon, and he said, let's go get the Midianites. And uh, Gideon is not all that happy about this invitation to go against the Midianites. So his first reaction, which we heard yet, uh, last week, was from Judges 6, verse 13. And uh, Gideon says this, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So when he's invited into this new life of, of faith and trusting in God and seeing God at work, uh, he, he immediately begins to blame God. He shows disbelief in God. And he mentions the Exodus. And so the only way he would have known about the Exodus is that he would have known the stories. He, he's, he's got the first you know, six books of the Bible and uh, he's basically saying, those are just old stories. I don't believe those stories. And he expresses his disbelief. We've all been there. Um, many of you in the room are there. Where you, you wish, you say to yourself, I wish God was real, but I have no evidence. Or the only evidence I have is this old book called the Bible. And I'm not so sure about it. Well, Gideon was in that book. He was saying, I don't have any evidence. And these stories that you know, my, my father and my grandfather tell me about you know, Egypt and God doing all these amazing things, I, I just, I'm not sure I believe those. And, and I haven't seen him do anything lately. In fact, it feels like he's forsaken us. 
God's response to that is extremely patient. This should encourage you. Judges 6.14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Like God won't take no for an answer. He just, he just gives him the same command, says it a little bit differently. But he doesn't give him any kind of a, an apologetic uh, or a defense for uh, the, the scriptures. Uh, he doesn't say, now, Gideon, you should look at the archaeological evidence uh, for the, the Exodus, right? He, he doesn't do that. He just invites him again to believe, to trust, to, to obey God and to take this step into the water. Now, this is not what Gideon bargained for. What, what Gideon wants to do is, is see before he believes, uh, some of you, you may have been to an aquarium, I mean, probably most of you, you've been to an aquarium, and you're, you're standing there between that very thick glass wall, you're looking in, and you're seeing sharks, and you're, you're just pretty chill, right? You've got your substandard coffee from the coffee shop there at the aquarium, and you're drinking it, and you're like, wow, it's a shark, and your heartbeat might go up a couple of beats, but not much, right? But then, let's say one of the staff workers come over, taps you on the soldier, uh, shoulder and says, hey, why don't you get in the water? Suddenly, pupils are dilated, right? Like heart is, rate is going way up. Adrenaline is rushing. You want me to get in the water with that? But, but you're like, that's just like, you know, five inches from you right now. And this is kind of how we, we interact with God. We, we'd like God to be in the aquarium. God, I want to get real close and personal, but I want you to stay behind the glass, right? And in this moment, Gideon gets invited in the water. God is like a shark. I know I just compared God to a shark. Okay, <laughs> work with me here. Work with me here. He is full of grace. He is absolutely compassionate. Sharks are not full of grace and compassionate. He's faithful to fulfill all his promises. Perhaps sharks are faithful to fulfill their promises. But, I'm, but he's also wild. He's dangerous. He's anything but safe. Some of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia. I love this little quote where Susan, one of, one of the girls in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, she's finding out about Aslan. Now, Aslan is the, the Christ figure in this allegory that C.S. Lewis writes. And she's asking Mr. Beaver, okay, I know, it's an allegory, about Aslan. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And then uh, Susan says, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king, I tell you. God is not safe, but he is good, and he is the king. Last week I talked about people who say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Here's what they're saying. I want safe. I want safe. And God's inviting you into the water. Can you imagine this moment with Gideon? Gideon is weak. He's fearful. He's full of disbelief. And God's saying, mighty man of valor, let's go take out the Midianites. This is not safe. 
This is not safe, but it is good, and he has good intentions for Gideon and for the nation of Israel. One of the things you need to understand about life with God is that believing is seeing, not the other way around, right? We've been trained that seeing is believing. That's not how it works in a life of faith. Believing leads to seeing. Jesus taught this. Uh, He teaches it to his disciple Thomas. This is an interesting story where Jesus is resurrected. He's appeared to uh, some of his disciples, but for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there when the first resurrection appearances occurred. I don't know if he slept late or his alarm didn't go off. I I don't know, but he's not there. And so then he shows up late, and then the disciples say, we saw the resurrected Jesus. And he's like, nope, I don't believe it. But there's 10 of us. We all saw the resurrected Jesus. He's like, nope. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I want to see the nail prints. I want to see the the gash in his side. And then for eight days, Jesus kind of puts him on ice, just lets him just sit there with this verbal testimony of his, his, his resurrection. And then in John 20, we see the encounter that Jesus has with Thomas. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, whoops, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus uses Thomas as as an object lesson. He says to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You believe your way into seeing. Some of you watched my, uh, my younger son, Cooper, baptized last week in Puffer's Pond. It was awesome. He's 21 years old. You're thinking, why, why is the pastor's kid getting baptized at 21, right? He should have he knocked that out a long time ago, right? <laughs> like, what, what's going on, right? Well, because he had to believe to see. Now, he seen a lot of things. He'd seen miracles both in our family and in our church, even miracles that pertain to him personally. When he was younger, he he had uh, some health issues, and uh, they were so bad. The pediatrician, when I took him in one afternoon, said, I think your son has a brain tumor. It was that bad. And we take him in to get an MRI, no brain tumor. We said, well, okay, he doesn't have a brain tumor. What is wrong with him? They're like, we don't know. And health deteriorating, spiraling. We're praying. We're asking the Lord, Lord, what is going on? The doctors don't know what's going on. You know what's going on. Please, please tell us. And a week or so later, my wife is in the the, the lobby uh, where my daughter is is, is having dance lessons. She's just talking to one of the moms. She's describing what's going on with Cooper. And the mom says, it sounds like what my son has. And it's celiac, right? It's when you're gluten intolerant. And it can cause all kinds of problems. And that's what it was. And the Lord brought this conversation (laughs) and opened up this reality of something we didn't even know existed. And in two weeks, Cooper was totally healed. But even though that happened to him, even though many, many other things have happened in our life and the life of our church, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He didn't believe. But when he went to college... Had some different experiences, heard some things. For whatever reason, God in His grace turned the light on. 
and he believed. And when he believed, those of you that heard his testimony, when he went back through his life, he could see what God had been doing all those years. A, a, a scripture that had been prayed for him many times, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let the light out, uh, shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The one who said, let there be light in the universe, says, let there be light in our hearts. And by God's grace, we believe, and we believe we can see. Now, some of you, you're like, you're still not buying that. Well, Gideon didn't buy it either, okay? Check, check what he says next. Verse 15, he says to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon shifts from disbelief in God to discouragement about himself. He's like, I'm the weakest guy in my family and the weakest clan in the tribe. Like, like I can't do this. I can't do this. And, and these are related, are they not? Disbelief in God and discouragement in myself. It's like standing in a muddy bog, right? I just I got muddy bog on the brain because we just married off uh, Dan and Helen Postuma yesterday, and we were at a cranberry bog, right? Uh, and so, you know, just this much mushy, marshy kind of thing going on, and you just think like two feet just stuck down, and you cannot get out, and one foot is in disbelief in God, and one foot is in discouragement over yourself. This is Gideon. This is Gideon. And he needs to be delivered out of that disbelief and that discouragement. Right? And he needs to be a hero, right? Like, we need a hero, Gideon, but he can't get out of that disbelief and that discouragement. Now, every hero has an origination story. Before they're a hero, before they're really, really strong, they have an origination story. So what we like to think about is when the hero's really strong, like, like, like at this moment. I love that. I am not dead. But before that moment, there's a, a really weak, vulnerable, fear-filled moment where he's, he's speaking to Nakia and, and he's, he's saying, my uncle has betrayed us. And my father, he may have created something even worse. And he's just in this desperate place of fear and lack of faith. And then she says to him, you can't let your father's mistakes define who you are. You get to decide what kind of king you're going to believe. And so not only does he have to come to this place where he believes in something bigger than himself, right? This is every superhero, right? Something bigger than himself, a cause that's bigger than himself, and also that he has strength in himself 
to step into that calling. Every hero has an origination story. What we're reading is, is Gideon's origination story. Except in, in the place we are right now, he's, he's absolutely bogged down with disbelief about the larger cause and who God is and absolute discouragement about himself. He needs to be delivered. And after he tells God how weak he is and how unqualified he is, look what God does in Judges 6.16. The Lord says to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God seems to think that's a game changer. We got Midian in disbelief and discouragement, or Gideon in, in disbelief and discouragement. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm with you. <laughs> this should change everything, right? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's in Scripture, right? Through, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's in Scripture. And if God is with us, it is a complete Game changer. It cures both predicaments, both disbelief in God and discouragement in myself. But Gideon still won't do it. <laughs> Even though God lets him know that he's with him, he won't do it. Verse 17, it says to him, he says to him, If now I've found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you. Bring out my present. I said it before you. He said, I will stay till you return. And so Gideon went into his house. He prepared a young goat. I guess God likes goats. I don't know. Unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. So Gideon's wanting some assurance, right? Even though God is saying, I'm with you. He, he, he wants to have some kind of sign, some kind of assurance in that. And he's participating really in a pagan ritual, if, if we're honest, right? Like he's cooking the food before he brings it to God. You're not supposed to do that in, in the sacrificial system of, of the Old Testament. This is what he learned from his dad who worships Baal and Asherah. We'll find out next week. And so he's basically doing what he's seen his family do, which is worship in a pagan way. And he makes this meal for God, and he brings it to him. And his understanding as a pagan is that God needs to eat food, and that that, that get, gets him happy, and then he'll do stuff for you. I mean, if you invited me over, and then you, you asked me to, to you know, eat some really awesome food, and then you asked me to help you move the couch, I probably would, right? <laughs> and so that's kind of like... The thinking of, of ancient pagan religion is, is that we're going to feed you God, goddess, and then you're going to be really happy. They also would think about the gods and goddesses having one big orgy. I, I guess this is what sinful human males come up with, you know, food and sex. I don't know. Uh, this is what they, they project onto the, the, the divine. And so this is, this is all that Gideon knows from his family. And so here he brings this cooked meal to God, and he offers it up. And what's God going to do? I know what God should do, um, but here's what he does. Angel of God said to him, take the meat, the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock, pour the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached the tip of the staff that was in his hand. He touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock. And it consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. 
And then Gideon perceived that he was with an angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's not what Gideon was expecting, I don't think, right? He's bringing the meat out onto the altar. He's thinking there's going to be some kind of consuming of, of the meat, and the angel kind of pulls out a blowtorch and just, right? Just totally just, let I me mean, just think about brought you a sandwich, you put out a blowtorch, and you just torched it, right? And this is, this is what he does. Now, why is he doing that? Uh, well, he's showing Gideon the kind of sacrifice that's made to the one true God. And it's not a sacrifice that's for food to the one true God. It's a sacrifice for sin. It's a sacrifice for sin. And, and a sacrifice for sin is a substitutionary sacrifice. And what he's showing them is what Israel and Gideon deserve. They deserve to be blowtorched. Because they have sinned against the holy God. They have done evil in the sight of a holy God. They have worshipped false gods over and against the one true God. But instead of Gideon getting blowtorched, the sacrifice gets blowtorched. And he's, he's trying to help Gideon see the nature of sin and what it's going to take for that sin to be taken care of. And Gideon understands it because Gideon is scared. <laughs> he's scared. We know that because of... Of, of, of what God says to Gideon in 23, the Lord says to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Okay? Well, Gideon's, Gideon's, he's afraid, okay? I'm pretty sure. And God's like, nope, don't be afraid. Now, why shouldn't he be afraid, right? Because the substitute sacrifice has been offered in his stead. And it has taken the deserved wrath. And now Gideon is given peace. The word translated there is a word uh, shalom. It's a really important word for the Hebrew people of God. And one of the things it means is that the animosity that was once between God and them is now taken away. That there is peace, there's reconciliation between God and human. And so this is, this is God teaching Gideon. Here's how sacrifices work for the one true God. You offer up a substitution sacrifice for sin, that takes what you deserve, and now there's peace between us. You are made right. You are forgiven. You are reconciled. And Gideon gets it, right? Verse 24, the, the Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, the Lord is peace. And to this day, it still stands at Ophir, which belongs to the Abizarites. He, he gets it. And, and, and he's delivered from his discouragement and his disbelief in that moment. And what's required to deliver him from this is this substitutionary sacrifice for sin. He is delivered. And this is his origination story. This moment that we're looking at in this text is the moment where he repents from disbelief and discouragement and moves toward God in faith. Do you have that origination story yourself? Have you come to a place where, where you have turned away from dis disbelief and discouragement and turned toward belief in the one true God? Because God's calling all of us to do that. All of us to take that step, to turn away from discouragement and from disbelief. And the only thing that's going to bring that about is the grace that's given to us through the cross, 
which is what every Old Testament sacrifice is pointing forward to, even this one, even this one. It is pointing forward to a true and better sacrifice, a once-for-all sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice for sin. That's what's happening at the cross of Christ. And it is at that cross of Christ where there is peace. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So he's talking about Jesus. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so I, I want to encourage you, if you've, you've never done this before, where, where you've realized the weight of your sin, you've realized that you've sinned against the holy God, that at the root of that is actually worshiping false gods, and, and, and you, you grieve that, the weight of that, but then you release that because you've been forgiven because of what Christ has done for you at the cross, knowing that, that the Lord is now your peace. He's not... He's not there's no animosity anymore because of what Christ has done at the cross. And it's not something you have to buy off or broker. I think most of us, you know, we kind of look at the ancient pagans and, and we're like, oh, that's so silly. But, but we do the same thing, do we not? I mean, some of you came to church this morning because you're like, I'm trying to buy off God. I'm going to go to church from this day forward. I'm, every week, I'm going to go to church or I'm going to read my Bible or I'm going to stop doing this or I'm going to start doing this, God. And if I do that, then you will do something for me. That, that's not how you worship the one true God. The way that you worship the one true God is, is receiving what he's done for you at the cross and then responding with absolute unconditional faith. And as you do that, the eyes of your heart are awakened <laughs> And you see more and more and more and more and more of who he truly is. So I was, I was talking to a, a student this past week and listening to her testimony. And, and I was, I, the way it came up, we were talking about her freshman year and how that went. And she said, it was epic. I was like, wow, that's a, that sounds like an amazing freshman year. Tell me about that. Tell me more, right? And she says, well, I became a Christian. I was like, wow, tell me, tell me about that. And so she's telling me about that. And then she tells me a story about uh, meeting with some of her family members and the family members saying, we're very concerned about you. And I said, why? Well, because the old you is gone. And she's like, yes! <laughs> yes, you're right. The old me is gone. And now I'm new in Christ. And this, this, is, this is what happens when we turn away from, from our disbelief and our discouragement and we turn toward Christ in faith. And when we do that, we are made new. That is our origination story. That's the origination stories that, that, that you saw if you went to the baptisms last week. That's why we do baptisms, right? It's part of the meaning of baptism. It's an origination story. It's saying, I'm absolutely new. I'm not just baptizing, you know, my, my right arm. I'm not just baptizing my brain. I'm baptizing my whole body. And I am new, right? And I've been delivered from these things. And so maybe that you, you, you're coming in this morning and you, you've been thinking, I must see to believe. 
And I, I, would, I would encourage you to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know about God. Like, take, take the next step, whatever that is. And that may be trusting in Christ this morning. You're like, okay, I, this is it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my faith in Christ. Or it may be, all right, I'm going to start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels of the New Testament. Or I'm going to have a conversation with another Christian and ask them some questions. Like, like whatever that next step is, to believe your way into seeing, instead of setting him back like you're at the aquarium and say, come on, God, show me who you are. That's not how it works. But no, he's going to invite you in the water. Now, those of us that know Christ, he's always inviting us to the next step, is he not? He's always inviting us to, to believe our way into seeing more of him, to trust him in an even greater way. But for some of us, we've come in here and, and we've, we've got disbelief, right? We may be Christians, but, but disbelief, it creeps in. And so let's, let's confess that to him. Let, let's ask him for forgiveness for that. Let's ask for power to overcome disbelief. For others of us, we're just discouraged. Like, no, I, I believe in God. He's great. He's got his act together. It's me that's the problem, right? And, and we're so discouraged, and, and, and what God says in both of those cases, I'm with you. I am with you. What's so interesting about this text, there are a lot of interesting things, but one of the interesting things is most Old Testament scholars would point to this as an example of what's known as a Christophany. And what a Christophany is, is, is when Christ, the second person of the Trinity, shows up in human form in the Old Testament. So these are places like when, 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 when God is, is uh, talking to Abraham or walking in the garden with Adam and Eve or in the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel and then you know, here in, in Gideon. And so you notice in the passage how it's like angel of the Lord and then the Lord and angel of the Lord and the Lord. And, and, and so it, it's a pretty strong case to Jesus himself. And so it's Jesus himself that, 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 that is torching the sacrifice knowing that he's pointing forward to the time where he himself will be torched. Not for his own sin, but for our own sin. Our sin of, of disbelief, uh, our sin of, of, of not believing what God wants to do in and through us. And, and we're reminded of this every time we come to this, this table. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, when he took bread, he broke it. He gave it to them saying, take Eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the, the high price that Jesus paid so that we could be forgiven and transformed from our disbelief and our discouragement. It's also a reminder that the Lord is our peace. And because of the sacrifice that's been made on our behalf, we're at peace with God. Not because of something we've done. We haven't brokered a deal with Him. It's because of what He's done at the cross. And so when in the ancient world especially, whenever you sat down with someone and had a meal with them, what you were communicating is that we are at peace. And so we have this meal. We're having a meal before the face of God. And he is saying to those who have trusted in Christ, peace, the Lord is your peace. He's also saying for us as a community, 
And because of the gospel, that there is peace, there's reconciliation, there's forgiveness. We are right with one another, not by our own efforts, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. And so if you are a Christ follower, we want to welcome you to the table as a way to remember what he's done for us and the peace that we have through his sacrifice at the cross. Let's pray. God, we do come to you with disbelief, discouragement, Lord. Some of us bogged down. And, and for some, it's, a, it's, a, it's an origination story moment where they are going to come to know you this morning. And so, Lord, help them to see with the eyes of their hearts. Turn the light on, just as you said, let there be light. Turn the light on in hearts and lives of those that have yet to become Christians in this room. And for those of us that have, Lord, it's so easy to get bogged back down into disbelief and discouragement. And Lord, so we confess that. We thank you that we can because of the peace that we have with you. We don't have to be fearful or ashamed, but we can come before you and we can ask for forgiveness and ask for renewal. God, that we'd be full of faith and that we would not be discouraged about what you will do in and through us. Lord, thank you that you are God with us. You've not forsaken us, and you can be trusted and believed. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.